0: From the Blue Ridge Mountains here in the star city of Roanoke, Virginia, this is the Jamie Lee Show. Every day in newspapers across the country, there are obituaries of brave men who served in World War II. Day after day, more and more veterans are being honored in obituaries, not only for their bravery in war, but for living truly honorable lives once returning home. Every year, the number of World War II veterans we have left gets smaller and smaller, reminding us of all the harsh reality that soon we will have lost all the World War II veterans left in the United States. I have a close friend whose father was part of this amazing group of men and is now buried at the Arlington National Cemetery. This year is a dedicated story about the Forgotten 15th. The Army Air Force's 15th Air Force was a war baby born in Italy after a brief gestation and as the result of induced labor, it had a short life, just 22 months. It lived in the shadow of its older and much bigger brother and strategic partner, the England-based 8th Air Force. During the war, the public heard much about the mighty 8th and little of the forgotten 15th. Veterans of the Italian campaign have an explanation of sorts. If you were a war correspondent, would you rather sip scotch in a London hotel or... Swig Vino in a tent at Faga. At its peak, the 15th was about half the size of the 8th. It had 21 bomb groups compared to 41 in the 8th. The 15th had seven fighter groups. The 8th had 15. Americans have heard much about the Tuskegee Airmen of the 332nd Fighter Group, a famous part of the 15th. But almost nothing of the other bomber, fighter, and reconnaissance groups. Even so, 15th did at least its part in the war, consistently doing more than expected, taking the war to the Axis factories and refineries beyond the reach of Britain-based aircraft. Most importantly, the pilots of the 15th in the spring and summer of 1944 turned off the Wehrmacht's Balkan oil taps, wrecking the Floesti refinery complex in Romania with strategic effects felt throughout the theater. The 15th attack targets in a large number of Axis and Axis-occupied countries, including Italy, Germany, Bulgaria, Austria, France, Romania, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Greece, Poland, and Yugoslavia. When the 15th was established on November 1, 1943, it began life with a famous commander, Major General James H. Doolittle. He had not only led the 1942 raid on Tokyo, but had served as commander of the 12th Air Force and the Joint North African Strategic Air Forces. Doolittle owned an unrivaled reputation in military and civil aviation, having learned the trade of a senior commander in his 13 months in Africa and the Mediterranean. He was well-suited to establish the U.S. Army's Southern Strategic Air Arm. He was given only two weeks' notice. At the end of November, he established his headquarters in Bari on Italy's Adriatic coast. 12th Air Force contributed its heavy bomb groups to Doolittle's new command. Meanwhile... Major General John K. Cannon turned the 12th itself into the Mediterranean tactical air arm. The 15th was brought into being as a result of two factors, geography and climate. Geography was crucial. The Allied strategists had long recognized the importance of Romanian oil in fueling the access war machine. Romania lay a daunting 1,300 miles from Britain, putting the Balkan oil fields beyond the reach of 8th bombers. On the other hand, the oil fields were less than 600 miles distant from the big Allied airbase complex at Foggia, Italy. Weather also equally important to the Allied planners. Britain and Northern Europe were notorious for their overcast and soggy weather. Italy, in sharp contrast, was viewed as being mostly sunny and clear. The Foggia complex, in this view, would be able to support a continuous strategic air campaign against the Third Reich. Thus, when the 15th stood up in November 1943, top airmen reckoned that they would be flying in a more permissive environment. The predictions were wrong. Take weather, for example. During the first two months of life, the 15th's heavy bombers managed to conduct operations on just 30 days. Throughout 1944, the 8th actually operated 20% more than did the 15th. The 15th also faced geographical realities few Americans have ever encountered. Its bombers flew westward across the Tyrrhenian Sea, Corsica, and Sardinia to French targets, northward over the Alps to Austria and Germany, eastward over the Adriatic to the Balkans, Carpathian Mountains, and Greece. Meanwhile, Doolittle absorbed units from the 12th Bomber Command. His fledgling force comprised three B-17 and two B-24 bomb groups plus three P-38 Lightning Groups. Temporarily attached were a number of medium bombers. The 15th launched its first heavy bomber mission on November 2, 1943. It was a long-range attack on the Messerschmitt factory near Vienna. Because the badly damaged Foggia complex basis was still under repair, the B-24s flew from Tunisia. In his memoir. I could never be so lucky again. Doolittle described the first mission. Our B-17s and B-24s hit the Messerschmitt factory at Wiener Neustadt, a 1,600-mile round-trip mission that netted excellent results, he said. That facility was turning out about 250 fighters a month. We estimated we put it out of action for at least two months. Doolittle recalled that some 150 German fighters attacked the Allied bombers before, during, and after the bombing runs, even flying through their own flak. He lost six B 17s and five B 24s that day. Though Wiener Neustadt Measurement production was cut roughly 75%, the Germans proved exceedingly resilient, and soon the rate began rising again. A restrike policy became mandatory, as proved by post-raid regeneration at Floesti, Regensburg, Schweinfurt, and other hard targets. The Army Air Forces' industrious aviation engineers struggled against rain, mud, and shortages of heavy equipment to bring Faggia and other bases up to fighting trim. By the end of March 1944. Twenty bases in the Foggia Aviation Complex had become operational, affording adequate facilities for the growing Air Force. In January 1944, mere months after it started operations, the 15th underwent a sudden command change. General Dwight D. Eisenhower, the Supreme Allied Commander, tapped Doolittle to take over 8th Air Force. The famous airman had barely had time to shake the stick before he left for England, turning the command over to Major General Nathan F. Twinning, future chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. By late January 1944, the 15th had sprouted stronger wings. It's now comprised a dozen bomb groups and four fighter outfits, including one equipped with P-47s. Air strategists had long argued the merits of morale bombing, which had failed against Britain and thus far had little effect in Germany. Nonetheless, early in 1944, the combined chiefs directed the 15th to bomb city centers in Bucharest and Sofia, hoping to separate those capitals from the Axis group. Some resented the missions, considered terror bombings by many, including many airmen. One B-17 group member noted, it would seem that orders are orders. Eventually, the morale missions proved ineffective and even counterproductive. The new year brought multiple tasks, supporting Allied troops on the Anzio beachhead, conducting tactical operations, including the controversial bombing of Monte casino and carrying out a strategic bombing campaign against Germany's aircraft industry. The later effort, officially designated Operation Argument, was better known as Big Week. Bombers of the 15th Air Force during the period February 20th, 25th, 1944, joined with the 8th for three missions against Luftwaffe production sites in Germany and Austria. Because most of the targets lay at the edge of P-38 coverage, the heavies mostly had to shoot their way in and out. As so they did, along the way, striking aircraft plants at Regensburg on February 22nd, at Steyr, Austria, on February 23rd, and again at Regensburg on February 25th. B-17s and B-24s inflicted significant damage on Messerschmitt factories, but the Luftwaffe itself exacted a grim price. Nearly 40 bombers were shot down, as were four fighters. B-24 flight engineer Lloyd Lewis recalled the February 22nd mission in the 449th Bomb Group's history, maximum Effort. Lewis, flying with Lieutenant Carl Browning, said, Everything seemed to be going okay when all of a sudden I spotted fighter planes very far out at three o'clock. They were diving down into the clouds and out of sight. I remember getting on the intercom and announcing the enemy planes. This was the last I remembered. I was hit and knocked unconscious. He regained his consciousness a couple of days later in an Austrian hospital where he learned his bomber had been attacked by ME-109s and FW-190 fighters firing cannon shells. The bomber pilot was stunned by a shell burst, and the aircraft went into a dive. The co-pilot managed to right the bomber and help the crew bail out. At the end of big week, Twinning counted a horrendous cost. 89 bombers and seven fighters lost. The attrition amounted to about 16% of total bomber stories, four times the maximum sustainable rate. Already short of fighters, the 15th conducted no further deep penetration missions until the situation could be readdressed. On the way, however, was some help, P-51 Mustangs. The 8th already had P-51s by the time of big week. The 15th needed them too. Spitfire groups transferred to the 15th and converted to Mustangs. At the same time, the 325th exchanged its P-47s for Mustangs, and by early July, the 332nd had also done so. The Spitfire units, the 31st and 52nd, managed an orderly transition while the 325th Checker Tails parked their P 47s on May 24th and flew their first Mustang mission three days later. The U.S. Strategic Air Commander was Lieutenant General Carl A. Spatz in London. He oversaw the efforts of the 8th and 15th. Maintaining cordial relations with Lieutenant General Ira Eaker, commander of the Mediterranean Allied Air Forces, SPATS had a huge task requiring coordination of vast air fleets at opposite ends of the European continent. By and large, it worked. The run-up to D-Day in mid-1944 placed strategic air forces under the direct control of Eisenhower. At that time... Strategists differed in supporting either the transportation plan or the oil plan as the best way to defeat Germany. As commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force, Eisenhower naturally leaned toward the transport plan. Wrecking German communications in northwestern Europe would directly support Operation Overlord, whereas focusing on oil would pay benefits over a longer term. In August 1943... Three months before the 15th was established, a low-level B-24 mission against Fluesti had produced spectacular losses for marginal results, proof that many industrial targets required persistent bombing. However, because Romanian oil lay within reach only of Italy-based bombers, Mediterranean commanders chaffed under the transport plan. Eker and Twinning began attacking the Floeste complex in April 1944, near the end of the transport phase. They were directed to strike the rail yards, presumably preventing oil from being shipped elsewhere. With a wink and a nod from Spetz, bomber leaders began moving aim points closer to the 10 refineries circling the city. It was a rare case of de facto insubordination, but it began paying dividends. Meanwhile, two fifteenth Airmen received the Medal of Honor for missions against Floesti Petroleum targets. On June 23, 1944, Second Lieutenant David Kingsley was a 97th Bomb Group Bombardier on a B-17 that was hammered by flak and chased by fighters. When the pilot ordered the crew to bail, Kingsley unhesitatingly gave his parachute harness to a badly wounded gunner. The fortress, with Kingsley aboard, crashed in Bulgaria, where local residents established a memorial to their neighbors killed in the crash and to the selfless Kingsley. First Lieutenant Donald Puckett was a 98th Group B-24 pilot. Two weeks after Kingley's sacrifice, Puckett's B-24 was crippled by AAA Burst, which killed one man and wounded six. Puckett nursed the damaged Liberator 150 miles southwest of Floesti before ordering a bailout. With the bomber rapidly descending, Puckett returned to the cockpit rather than leave three men who either could not or would not jump. His attempt to bring the bomber under control failed with the loss of all crew still aboard. A remarkable mission against Floesti was flown by two P-38 groups on June 10th. The first fighter group escorted 82nd Group Lightning aircraft in a long-range attack that hoped to elude detection by flying low. It didn't work. Spotted by Romanian and German defenders, the top cover lightnings were drawn into a widespread dogfight's And Floesti's guns and smoke generators were ready when the dive bombers rolled in. Some worthwhile targets were struck, but losses were heavy. 24 of the 96 fighters on the mission were lost. Two dozen Floesti missions cost the 15th some 230 aircraft, but produced results When Romania capitulated in August 1944, Allied researchers found the refineries mostly reduced to wreckage. Their output only 10% of what it had been five months earlier. It was a severe blow to the Axis. By June, at the height of the Floesti campaign, the 15th had achieved maturity. Though flying the same aircraft as the 8th, the proportions differed. The 8th, was nearly 60% B-17s, while the 15th was three-quarters B-24s. Mustangs dominated 8th Fighter Command. In the 15th, four P-51 groups provided long-range escort, while P-38s flew shorter escorts and increasingly performed dive bombing and straffing. June also brought the start of Operation Frantic, shuttle missions to and from Russia. The goal was to attack targets ordinarily out of reach in Eastern Europe. Operation Frantic in June saw the assembly of 130 B-17s and 70 Mustangs. Two later missions in July and August featured only fighters. After Romania's capitulation, the Luftwaffe had little reason to commit heavy forces to the Balkans. Aerial operation all but disappeared. In the last eight months of hostilities, the 15th lost 26 bombers to enemy aircraft. Some bomb groups began flying with one waste gunner instead of two, and Twinning's fighters increasingly went down on the deck, strafing whatever moved and much that did not. By then, the invasion of southern France had grabbed the world's attention. The August 15th Operation Anvil Dragoon was supported by 15th bombers and fighters, including the 1st and 14th Groups P-38s, temporarily operating from Corsica. Meanwhile, other operations continued. Little known today is the remarkable work of the 859th and 885th Bomb Squadrons that conducted special operation missions and rescued downed flyers. Working with Yugoslavian partisans, 15th Airmen carved out landing strips in German-occupied territory. Additionally, the 5th Photographic Group and a dedicated Weather Recon Squadron plied their esoteric trades, losing far more airplanes to the climate than enemy action. A brief resurgence of the Luftwaffe in March and April 1945 brought new German ME-262 jet fighters to the southern skies, harassing bomber formations and occasionally inflicting losses. The 15th fighter pilots mostly took their measure, a 31st fighter group down eight ME-262s. The 15th mounted its only Berlin mission on March 24, 1944. This attack on a tank factory and other targets cost the U.S. only 10 heavy bombers among some 660 dispatched, proof of Allied ownership of German skies. The 15th logged its last bombing mission on May 1, 1945 with a small strike in Salzburg, Austria. Thereafter, Twinning's crews largely flew recon sorties and supply drops in Yugoslavia. With VE Day on May 8th, most Mediterranean airmen breathed a sigh of relief. Elation among some was short-lived upon learning they were slated to rotate to the Pacific for the expected invasion of Japan. Three months later, those concerns ended by the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki which prompt the surrender of Japan the 15th was formally deactivated on september 15th 1945 15 air force was successful but it paid a high price losing at least 1850 bombers 650 fighters or recon aircraft and hundreds of airmen Romania's oil spout was almost totally closed off and Axis communications were severely hampered. Fifteen fighters claimed 1,800 enemy aircraft destroyed and produced 74 aces. The enemy knew the 15th's worth. Albert Speer, the organizational genius and Third Reich's armaments minister, wrote that he could, See omens of the wars end almost every day in the blue southern sky when flying provocatively low. The bombers of the American 15th Air Force crossed the Alps from their Italian bases to attack German industrial targets. 15th Air Force's veterans continued making contributions long after V.E. Day. Twinning became Air Force Chief of Staff from 1953 to 1957 and chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Until Retirement in 1960. Other Washington insiders from Foggia were three B-24 men who became United States Senators, Democrats Lloyd Benson of Texas, William D. Hathaway of Maine, and George S. McGovern of South Dakota. War correspondent Ernie Pyle was the popular chronicler of the Mediterranean Theater writing about flyers as well as G.I.s. Before departing for the Pacific, where he was killed by a sniper shot, he wrote, Few of us can ever conjure up any truly fond memories of the Italian campaign. The enemy had been hard, and so had the elements. There was little solace for those who had suffered, and none at all for those who had died and trying to rationalize about why things had happened as they did. Today, the men of the Forgotten Fifteenth, where their numbers rapidly decreasing, look back on their experience and know that Pyle's tribute remains as valid as ever. This is Jamie. Thanks for listening. I leave you with a poem entitled, Take a Moment to Thank a Veteran. Written by Joanna Fuchs When you see someone in a uniform, someone who serves us all, doing military duty, answering their country's call, take a moment to thank them for protecting what you hold dear. Tell them you are proud of them. Make it very clear. Just tap them on the shoulder. Give a smile and say, Thanks for what you are doing to keep us safe in the U.S.A.